Welcome to Epiphany Fellowships Podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care. Ruth chapter 4, we are in the last chapter of Ruth. I'm gonna go, we're going to go to about, let's stop at verse 9. I'm not going to even try to tackle everything I want to tackle. Um, let's go ahead and dig in on three. One, two, three, go. Amen, amen, amen. Today, I would like to title this message, Real Men Reflect a Real God. Um, look at somebody next to you and say, neighbor, whether you know it or not, real men reflect a real God. Amen, amen, amen. Father, we want to um, drive, be driven by you and driven by um, the reality of who you are. And God, in being driven by that reality, I'm praying that today as we spend time in the last few pieces of this book, that we would begin to see you even more big in our lives, not making you bigger, but seeing you in the bigness of what you are. Yet, seeing how it in, uh, in your bigness, it's not just some esoteric reality out there, 
but Lord God, it's eminently real, and we want it to become more eminently real in our lives as we walk in commitment to you. And so I pray um, that this would hit everybody, yet specifically the men, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, 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 amen. Uh, men, take a deep breath. I know you heard that title and was like, here we go, another Sunday when men get beat up. Um, that, that is not what this is. Um, actually was going to title this something else. And um, I asked him, when I, I'm seeing these things in the text, and I'm wondering, am I eisegeting or am I exegeting? In other words, somebody's like, what is all of that? Um, am I seeing what's in the text truly, or am I reading my cultural trappings into the text? And they were like, I, I asked several people. Um, I asked some sisters, too. They was like, nah, pastor, I think all that's in there. And... Um, and so it, 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 it burdened me as I read this, yet encouraged me at the same time as I see, and I'll talk about it even more this Wednesday, how in the church, without neglecting women, there has to be an inordinate emphasis on reaching men. And, then, and in that reality, I think that the church needs to, this is not a church beat up time either because I believe in the local church, um, where I think that we need to continue to invest in women in a way that doesn't function in neglect, yet on the other end, be able to function on manhood because we got to ask ourselves a question. There is a reason why usually in the church there's a 15 to 1 ratio. Is anybody in here with me this morning? There, there's, there's a reason why there is a 15 to 1 ratio when it comes to women and men. And for my sisters that actually want to be married, um, y'all can smile. It's okay. And listen, this is, we, we, this is family. We all family. Um, um, th there, there is the frustration of wanting to be affirmed in your singleness, yet, in, yet have the availability in Jesus' name of an actual mature man that exists that can approach you in a godly way not to misappropriate you but to properly appropriate you and, and i want to let you know that men aren't born they're created okay um, um men, men uh, listen anybody can eat and go through puberty and grow in height and get some big sneakers okay but it takes another thing to happen to them within them where Christ transforms them, nurtures them, and they become broken without becoming effeminate. Okay? Because, they, because many of us see brokenness as being effeminate. But biblical brokenness means it's the most feminine and masculine thing at the same time it's gender neutral because God is near to not the man who was brokenhearted only or the woman that's brokenhearted but he's near to both and so it's indigenous to being a believer for us to have this disposition and so I want to talk about this today um, because I feel like Ruth is a book that I believe women can empathize with but I, it's almost like the last chapter gets a little manly it, 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 it's, it's some grown man britches type ministry. What you see in this chapter is grown up 
bearded man, men's type stuff. You understand what I'm saying? You know, I'm talking about like overalls, buffalo, black and red, uh, flannel shirt, uh, hammer, or, you know, saw with some Wolverine tooth, uh, 1,000 mile snoo- shoes on that you do some hacksaw ministry in. It's just, when you look at the chapter, it reeks of masculine godliness. So I got to move into the text. I could just stay on that forever. Real men reflect the real God. Number one. Real men who reflect the real God initiates accountability. <laughs> let, let, me, let, let, me, let me say that again. They initiate accountability. Okay, let, let's see what that is in the text. Look at what it says. It says, Boaz went to the gate of the town and sat there. Now, you got to understand what's happened already. Um, Boaz um, is determined based on Ruth being a godly biblical woman initiating a desire to redeem herself and Naomi. In doing that, Boaz, being a godly man, liked her. We'll see that he liked her in a second. We'll see that. We've seen a lot of that in the text. Now now we see that we can now talk about this from a marital standpoint because the context of this is courtship now. So what he's now doing is trying to court her in a way where he initiates making sure that the way that he courts her is in the realm of accountability. Help me today. In other other words, he doesn't want to secretly pursue her. He wants to publicly pursue her. In other words, he's not trying to meet in the parking lot at Wegmans and slob her down. He's not trying to go. He's not trying to go to Kelly Drive at night and feed some gooses and geeses and sit with their legs hanging over the schuylkill, filling all over her. No, that's not what he sees her as. He sees her as something that's worthy to be approached like God would approach her. Help me today. Help me today. And so as we look in this text, I like my man Boaz. I like what he's doing. Know what he does? He goes to the gate. Now, what's at the gate? Men. 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 In other words, he goes to the place where commerce happens, business deals happens, governance happens. In other words, he puts himself in the hot seat in his pursuit of her. Look look what happened. I like the fact that he sat down. Somebody say he sat down. Whenever you sat down at the gate, that means you're ready to engage some men. That means you're not standing at the gate up in a corner. You understand what I'm saying? On some punk ministry. You straight up in there and you're like, I'm going to sit down. And I'm going to lay some stuff out. We need some men like that. Help me today. We need some men, help me today, that, that, that is willing, oh, I'm getting ahead of myself, to face other men. Okay. We, now, now, I'm not talking about we smoking um, you know what I'm saying? If you marry adulterous type dudes out there and all they do is talk objectifyingly towards women and that's your manly community. Is it, am I in here today? And, and, well, you, you, need to be, you need to put yourself to be around people that 
will challenge you in your masculinity if you fall off in any kind of way. A hidden man is a punk man. A hidden man is a sucker, but a one that's willing to put himself in the position to be held accountable and held up is saying, I know I got issues, I know I'm broken, but I'm willing to put myself in a position for someone to invest in my life. Help me. Now, what I like about this is he's waiting to do business. It's too much here. It's as soon the family redeemer, Boaz, has spoken about passed by. I know what I like about this is that Boaz could have just strong-armed and got Ruth. He could have just, I mean, it's the time of the judges. We're going to talk about that in a second. So everybody did what was right in their own eyes. But in the midst of a time where everybody just did stuff, he wanted to follow the Bible. Help me today. See, many of you got to recognize that if you have people around you that do what's right in their own eyes, but don't do right in the scriptures, you got to be willing to do what God says, even though popularity would affirm your fleshliness. And so he, I like that he waits because, in other words, he told Ruth, he said, listen, he said, I want to redeem you, but check it. I, uh, there's one that's in line to redeem you before me that's a closer relative. So what I'm going to do is let's hold off on our engagement. I don't want to put a ring on your finger until I get some stuff in order. Oh, my God. Am I in this church by myself today? And, 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 and I mean... And he goes and he sits at the gate. Somebody say, sit at the gate. And he waits. See, they didn't have text messaging back then. So everybody going back and forth out to their fields, he had to go. That means he had to go to bed and he had to be a grown man and get up early. It's too much in here. Go out to the gate. He took his bread and butter to the gate and sat at the gate with his cup of coffee. He went to Starbucks already. Starbucks open at 6 a.m. You know, people starts going. Listen, you know, people start going to the fields at about 7, 7.30. So he's not going to oversleep because commitment means enough to him to get somewhere early so that he can be prepared for what's coming past for him. Help me today. I ain't got time to even talk about that. But he sits at the gate to wait. I don't, he doesn't even know when the dude is going to go past. I don't even know if he may have known. Yo, I know my man goes past at this particular time, so I want to get out there. And actually, I want to get around the men before I get around him. Whew. I got to move past. It's just too much in the Bible. Good God, help me. So he's sitting there, and he waits till he passes by. And he says, Boaz said, come over here and sit down. I like that. Now, y'all know that's some manly talk right there, exegetically. And it, whatever, if it's the Septuagint, it's, that's the Greek translation. That's manly when you translate it in that. It's manly when you, when it's in Hebrew and it's manly in English. Come over here and sit down. Who tells another man as he's walking past, this dude going to work? He says, come over here and sit down. In other words, I'm not afraid to engage another man about business. And so what I love about all of this, this just reeks of, of, of what God has called us to do. And it's a reflection of who God is. 
God, see, a godly person, see, God, the, the beauty of the cross is, the cross is God not being afraid of conflict. <laughs> um, the cross is the sign that God isn't afraid to take care of business. Even hard business. It, it, that, that's what the cross, the cross represents God being willing to take care of, uh, uh, of business. And, and what I like about this is he's a pre-reflection or a longitudinal theme, if you will, that points to how the cross, through God, through the cross, is willing to take care of business in Christ. And so he, 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 he's willing to get everything set up. And he says, come over here. And I like the way, what, what, what it says after that. It says, so he went over there and sat down. I like that. I like that. And because of this reality, he went over there and he sat down. So he's sitting down. Then it says, then, now this, this just blows me. Then Boaz took 10 men of the town's elders. Y'all going to make me jump out of this room. Why? Boaz isn't afraid to get the spiritual, sociological, political, and familial leadership together to hold him accountable. Oh, it's not just that he wants to be accountable to peers. He wants to be accountable to spiritual authority. And so what he does now is he's saying, he said, can I, can I get 10 elders together in the city? Now, these are not just people, right? These are, these are men who lead families. These are men who have taken care of business as men. These are men who have done dowries for daughters. They give oversight to the virgins in their family to make sure that they remain virgins so that when they get married, their cost of their bride price doesn't go down. These are the men that make sure that judgment that takes place when there's a dispute between different people, they were the city hall. So what he was willing to do is, Boaz was saying, I'm willing to take and put everything even before them and make sure that they, now, now, now understand, this is not a judicial transaction here. It's a, it's a business transaction that Boaz is asking for public accountability on so that when he does it, nothing will come back to bite him later. And, and, in other words, I want to take care of business so that I'm, I'm, I'm not finagling with the future that I want to set up with you, Ruth. In other, words, in, other words, in other words, men are willing to set things up so that ducks can be lined up in order so that nothing comes back to bite the comprehensive business of the household later. That, that means men who are just, you, it, it's, men, it's time to stop just looking for a job. Looking for a job is normal. Looking to be a patriarch is something different. In other words, and we'll see this at the end of the book, being a patriarchal leader means you take authority in the family to be set up by God to be a comprehensive leader who people can be, help you to be the go-to guy for this. Now, now look, look, look for things in the family. And so this is beautiful because he's willing to bind himself to responsibility as he's not afraid to engage things with men in order that he may redeem Ruth. He wasn't afraid of responsibility, and he was also willing to be held accountable. And so him going to the gate was a serious matter. And so 
one of the things that he begins to do in the midst of all of this, as we talk about this idea of the time of judges, this is very, very important. Um, in, in him not doing what everybody else wanted him to do, it helped solidify and will even futurely build other generations to come after this. I don't want to get ahead of myself. That's why I hate when I go to a restaurant and I've never been before. Hey, when I go to a restaurant, never been there before, and I, I, I say, what do you suggest? Know what I hate what they say? This is popular. Know why I don't like that? Because you can't force me to like something because everybody else like it. I like what I like, whether people like it or not. So if people don't like it, but I like it, I like it because I like it, not necessarily because it's popular to like. That's, 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 that's what we need to understand the depth of this text is. The depth of this text is having a heavenly appetite to like what God likes, even if it's not popular to everybody else. And so when it being a time of judges, he's going above board and he wants to follow the law. Second point, I, I, can, I, I just got to move. Number two, he hungers to be responsible. This is, this is beautiful to me. He hungers to be responsible. Look at verse 3. He said to the Redeemer, so the guy comes sit down, he's chopping it up with him. He said, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling a portion of the field that belonged to, her, to, to our brother. He emphasizes it for him. He emphasizes it for him. He said, it belongs to our brother. He's selling it. So what he's selling her now, he's selling the mouth. He said, oh. So basically, this is a transaction. Of, he focuses him on the land first. This is good business. This is good business. And so what he's doing, he wants him to think that he's only thinking about the land so that he can get him economically focused because he's so committed to Ruth that he don't want to throw everything out there yet. So he's being shrewd as a serpent and innocent as a dove. Are y'all tracking with me today? And so, and, so, and so what he's doing, though, and what I like about this is he's, a, he's functioning, and redeemer means guardian of the family interests. Let me say that again. A guardian or a redeemer is a, 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 redeemer is a guardian of family interests. And being a guardian of family interests, this is beautiful, and it's a good example for us as men. For us to be guardians of family interests, like what? Retirement. I'm going to get real practical. Y'all quiet now. Gospel legacy. Property ownership, financial empowerment, family education, and you should be plagued with where your family is spiritually and willing to implement ministry for them. In other words, when you, when you are a quality engineer and guardian for your household, it will tone down you being nagged in marriage. See, only the wives got that right there, and I'm not trying to alienate nobody. See, wives usually nag you for not being an initiator. The more you initiate and implement as a man, 
the more you become a quality engineer in the oversight of the household and function in your God-ordained role to see the now and to develop vision of the household, what begins to happen is, is nagging tones down and blessings turn up. We, we, we'll talk about that in the marriage series. We'll talk about that in the marriage series. Hallelujah. Uh, um, the, the family series. So Naomi, he said, Naomi, who has returned from the territory of Moab, is selling this portion of land. So he made him think about this, and it was amazing that he leaves Ruth out at this point and focuses on the economic gain. By redeeming, by redeeming, listen, by redeeming Naomi's land, the kinsman would have prospects for very soon enlarging his own permanent land holdings. Look at what verse 4 says. Watch this. It says, I thought I should inform you. So he said, I'm, I'm putting it out there. Buy it back in the presence. Look at this. In the presence of those seated here, he's, he's landed on thick. He said, in the presence of those, he said, in the presence of the elders of my people. So what started happening is as he started taking care of business with the 10 elders, people started stopping, watching a man take care of business. In other words, these people began stopping, not because they were necessarily a part of the transaction, but because the transaction was happening. Small town, boom, we want to look at what's going on. But at the same time, it's being an example to the people that are watching. In other words, when you take care of business, people watch you. When you take care of godly business, people watch you because being, being, being an example of gospel business and kingdom business helps other people around you to learn. See, we need to have a legacy of biblical manhood in the church that, that young men grow up with godly uncles and spiritual fathers and surrogate fathers who they can watch in the gates of the kingdom take care of business so that it can be a reflection of what they want to be when they grow up. Like, that's how you do it in the church. That's how you do it. It's as a culture. There's a culture of, can you imagine our church as 20 years from now Jesus doesn't come back? If different ethnicities of kids learn from multi-ethnic men throughout the church to diffuse our current cultural crisis. And I've learned equally from different, how will they think about justice and race? If a community of them grew up around uncles who were white, black, Hispanic, Haitian, Caribbean, Asian, Latina, can you imagine the beauty of that? Growing up around that and them not, and them not being uh, um, uh, diffused from that reality? It's a beautiful thing to see this. And th this witnesses, is a witness, hit that light back on for me. Somebody hit that light by accident. I think um, somebody's playing over there. Put that back on for me. Amen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And so, listen what he says to him. He says, if you want to redeem it, do it. <laughs> he said, but if you do not want to redeem it, tell me and, uh, so that I will know. He says, because, he said, if you don't want it, I do. Because there isn't anyone other than you to redeem it, and I'm next after you. I like, he, he understands order. He understands order. He says, so I'm next after you. I want to walk in order. Boom. He says, then, 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 his, then his neighbor, his boy said, family member said, I want to redeem it. Okay, boom. He said, I got him now. He got him now because he focused him economically on it. But what's beautiful about this is what happens next. Then Boaz said, oh, oh, by the way, my bad. I forgot to add one thing. This is what I got to tell you. So you want to buy it, right? Yes, I want to buy it. Boom. Good. On the day you buy the field from Naomi, you will be required or acquire Ruth 
the Moabitess, the wife of the deceased man, to perpetuate the man's name on his property. So he's like, hold on. Hold on. So you mean to tell me that the money she, I give her, I give her this money, boom. She, she, I acquire her. So you mean to tell me I don't acquire just the property. I get Naomi and Ruth, and I have to take care of them for the rest of their life. And so my money's really coming back in my household. I'm not really buying it. And if I develop an offspring for her or multiple offsprings, that offspring will not, he will, he will be the son of uh, her former husband functionally in his succession. He'll own the land that I just bought. So I won't even really own the land because the child that had the land, the, the child that we have will own the land. So he said, hold on. And Boaz, Boaz, Boaz is smiling on the inside. He said, you, ain't, you, you don't want to take, I'm going to see if you want to take this L. Look what he says. Look what he says. I'm going to see if you want to take this L. Because you got to, did you understand what I just said? Business, let me say it one more again. When he, mar- when he gets the land, the money from the land, boom. He gets the land. He has to have a child, boom. The child with Ruth will own the land. He won't own the land. He just got the money and, and really have to invest it back in the kid because it's really not his money or his land. So, 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 but Boaz focuses him on economics because Boaz isn't. We'll see that in a second. See, see, all of this is how passionate he is about marrying Ruth. In other words, oh, I'm a, I can't get ahead of myself. Look at verse 6. He says, the redeemer replied, I can't redeem it myself. He said, well, I will ruin my own inheritance. Why? Because if he had more kids with Ruth than the first one, who is the redeemer, <coughs> the other ones, the functional, the redeemed child, then the other kids will have a stake on the inheritance he already has, which meaning his kids that he already has will have to split the inheritance with the kids he's going to have with Ruth. <laughs> so basically he says, you're narrowing down my ability to have a personal legacy on my own property because I'm marrying her and losing that stake. So what I like about this, what I like about this is it shows us God's heart in him and it shows us the gospel at the same time. God, just like Boaz was willing to take a sacrificial L to marry Ruth. In other words, it wasn't because she wasn't anything. It's because it looks like a L or a loss to the family member, but it doesn't look like a loss to Boaz. Because Boaz sees this investment as a viable stream to be able to marry the woman that he wants to marry. A man that is committed to a woman is willing to make whatever sacrifices that he needs to make in order to get her. Even if it's a financial L in the eyes of the world, he sees it as an upgrade because adding her to her life isn't, to his life isn't a loss, it is a gain. Ladies, this is for you. If a guy isn't willing to sacrifice, if a guy isn't willing to make some changes, if a guy isn't willing to stand in front of other people and proclaim love beyond a kiss and beyond a handhold, but he's not willing to put some stuff on the table to the glory of God to show his commitment. I don't care how long you're waiting. I know you're struggling, but don't settle for foolishness. Don't settle. And don't Try to discipleship date. 
You are no man's disciple maker. You can't invest in him while you're emotionally attached to him. You, you, you can't because, because you're going to, you, your, your rebuking quotient won't be high because you want to go easy because you're in love. And listening, listening, dating and discipleship without equal spiritual maturity yoking doesn't work. That doesn't mean a woman can't invest and be an investment in a man if they're in a relationship. That's not what I'm saying. But if you are the spiritual visionary engineer in the relationship, you are preparing yourself to be the spiritual leader when you get married. <laughs> and, and, then, and then this is for free. Don't give everything away. Then mad because he's not growing spiritually because you're telling him one thing and doing another. Is anybody in the house right here? Is anybody in the house? That, that, that's, that's, and, so, and so you can't be frustrated if his only movement is to just come to church. Just enough for him to be able to engage you. To make you feel like he's growing. Oh, he met the men's group this week. Oh, all of that's a scheme. Oh, I don't, listen, I've been in ministry 20-some years, and I was a, a non-Christian for 20 years. So I ain't always been saved. I, let me tell you, the day I got saved, I got caught in church. Oh, that's my real testimony. I went to church because I was feeling somebody when I was in college. We were holding hands the whole service, and I had all kinds of plans. I was like, man, get this worship over with, get all this over with. And the Holy Ghost was like, and the electing work of God, the thing I heard the gospel for the first time, God broke us up. I went on, she went another direction, and here I am today. Listen. Now, don't say, see, Pastor, see, you're giving me hope. Because, see, I keep, no. That's not normal. That's not the normal stream. Help me, God. No. Come back, lasso, you know. Stop missionary dating. I'm, I'm going to say, wait to be caught by the right person. Wait. Wait. <laughs> I don't care if your biological clock is ticking. I don't care if your, pat your loneliness is wheezing like an asthma attack. I implore you in the name of the Lord Jesus, walk in godliness, woman of God. Walk in strength, woman of God. Walk in God, holiness, woman of God. God sees it, and he will not leave you out there by yourself. Men, back to you. He said, at an earlier period in Israel, a man removed his sandal. This is, this is, this is in Deuteronomy. It's beautiful. Gave it to the other party. A sandal was a receipt for a, a transaction. Okay, they ain't have, you know, they just gave you a, their sandal, right? It's, it's, it's in the Bible, like literally. And it says, in order to make any matter legally binding concerning the right of redemption or exchange of property, this was the method of legally binding a transaction in Israel. So the Redeemer, listen, he just said, I can't afford her. I can't. 
And I'm not willing to take the L for her because I don't really care about her like that. But Jesus cared enough to lay aside his eternal, his eternality in the sense of he still was eternal, but tucked it in a Shekinah suit. And was first time absent in heaven, yet still omnipresent, which I don't even understand. And came to earth without his riches and made himself poor and saw it as a valuable engagement of you of showing, I'm willing to not have anything and having real everything to save your soul. That's what it means to love your wife as Christ loved the church. That's the way you move. That's what it means. It, 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 mean, it, means, it means that if this marrying you takes me low, if I have to endure seasons of sickness, can I, can, I, can, I, can I say one more thing? Don't y'all get mad at me. If I have to endure seasons of sexlessness because of bodily injury or challenges, I'm committed to you, not your body. I'm, I'm just telling you, be, being married is not just having sex. I'm not going to look over there. I'm not going to look over there. Hallelujah. <laughs> it's about being with a person. No, I, I love, I'm learning that every, uh, it'll be 20 years next month. I mean, month after next that I've been married. 20 years. I know I don't look like, you know, I've been married 20 years. <laughs> yeah, you know but 20 years. And I have to learn that. Not just that, I'm just talking about everything. I have to learn what it means to want her. And, 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 and that's the beauty of what God is laying out in this passage for us. And look what he says. He says, so Boaz, as he, 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 he took off, the, my man took off the sandal. He gave it to Boaz. He said, I'm good. Right? And then, it's beautiful right here. Boaz said to the elders and all the people, now, all of this was done. This transaction was done in front of everybody. He said, you are witnesses today that I am buying from Naomi everything that belonged to Elimelech, Chilion, and Malchan. I love this, that he was willing to make a commitment to marry her in front of everyone. Help me today. He said, I, verse 10, also acquired Ruth the Moabitess, Malhan's widow, as my wife to perpetuate the deceased man's name on his property so that his name will not disappear among his relatives or from the gate of his hometown. You are witnesses to this today. Know what I love about this? He went through all of this. <clears throat> Because not once in this book did he talk about Ruth's body. Y'all looking at me funny. Not once did he talk, he talked about her being young. He never talked about what she looked like. What he talked about through the whole book is her character. You look in chapter 2, verse 11. 
But then, the beauty of this, <coughs> my favorite character reference to the, a woman in the Bible is in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, now I know that you are a Eshel Chayel. This is the first time that this word is technically used, and it points to, this phraseology rather, is a prototype of the same term that's used in Proverbs 31.30. The woman of excellence in Proverbs 31.30 is called an Eshel Chayel. So Boaz calls her an Eshel Chayel in Scripture before there was a Proverbs 31. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. He, he, he calls her a woman of great value. Before Proverbs, what does that tell me? Is that this Gentile convert to Judaism, not even a Jewish woman, but a convert, acts as the prototype for godly womanhood. And we're going to see the beauty, we're going to see the beauty of this as we line it up with our Lord. That this woman, he talks about a character. Oh, I got to tell you this. I, I got to tell you this. Man, men, talk about her character more than you talk about her smile. More than you talk about her from the neck to the feet. If you have everything you visually want, but nothing God spiritually wants, you may be living a visual fantasy, but you will be walking in a functional nightmare. It's, I'm just telling you, listen to me. Let me pastor you. Get you a woman of character. Get you a woman that when people not just look at her, oh, she's cute. Forget about the selfies. I'm not saying beauty doesn't matter, but the Bible says it's fleeting. When she get 80, you're going to just have pictures. I'm not saying 80 ain't beautiful, but you understand what I'm saying. It, it changes. And at some, someday, you're going to have to learn to kiss a woman's character, not just her body. And here, ladies, this is for you. This is how she made herself known, by being a godly woman. Help me today. She didn't take revealing selfies as a baiting technique for somebody to look through their photo album on Facebook. What you initiate on the front end for somebody to see is what they'll focus on what they want to learn about you. Stop leading out with your body as if that's all you are. Stop it. Listen, you can't be an activist one day. Oh, y'all not going to talk back to me. You can't be an activist one day and then do the very thing that you get on men for the next day. 
You can't talk about misogyny and objectification if you do it to yourself through your selfies. Oh, and, am I in that? Listen, don't look at me like I'm crazy because you know I'm true. You can't talk about Trump and what he did and then you undergird yourself philosophically and functionally with that by the way you promote yourself because you're thirsty. You're more than that. 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 You're everything that God says you are. And men, stop feeding into it. Force yourself. Some of you are addicted to porn. Oh, it, it, it's no amens right there. You're addicted to porn, <clears throat> so the only thing you can see is a pornographic image of a woman. So when you look at her, that's all you see. But let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> this is for free. Proverbs chapter 5. Drink fresh water from your own cistern and running water from your own well. Why should your seed be spread into the streets? Let me explain something to you for free. And this is a marriage tip. When you develop a pornography addiction, <clears throat> it pours out authentic passions that God has given to you away from a place where he wants you to put them. When you as a single man walk in pornography, you are training yourself to only interact with visual of a certain type. When you get married to someone that doesn't have the same visual sexual history you have, you're going to have a sexual marital struggle because God didn't make her to be the woman on the screen. Ain't nobody gonna talk back to me. And let me just give you something for free. That pornographic stuff ain't real. Help me today. You have to learn that woman's body. This is all so free. You have to learn that woman. And God meant for you to get married to one woman and enjoy her and grow in how to please her. If you're trying to do what they did, that was for the camera so that you could get aroused. That was for the camera. But what happens is when you get married, she ain't got that mental and visual history. You didn't share that. So I'm, I'm asking you, gentlemen, asking you. God made intimacy to be more than physical interaction. The more you deepen love through suffering with your wife, experience with your wife, brokenness and y'all seen things be financially lean and God took care of that and, and, and when you see God make breakthroughs and you're able to buy stuff and take it and then all of a sudden God you you you've been having these experiences that's what you bring to the bedroom you don't just bring a body to the bedroom you you bring a comforting comprehensive gospel experience of a journey together single people stop cheap stop cheap Stop clapping. Stop cheating. Stop, stop cheating yourself. My prayer is stop cheating yourself. Women, stop cheating yourself. You deal with porn too. That's the best kept secret in the church. That's the, you, you need to 
You, the way you're made, you're made so differently than us that visual images and emotional connecting images are deeper for you than it is even us. And so my prayer, I'm, I'm leaving alone. I ain't trying to beat nobody up. Please don't hear me doing that. I'm trying to encourage you from a guy that's made a lot of mistakes. I've made a lot of mistakes. And when I got married, I paid for it. And God had to help me erase the stuff on my hard drive. Emotionally and spiritually so that I could be, it took, it took time for me to begin to learn how to become one flesh with my wife because I had so many relationships. <laughs> Y'all got quiet. So many people I dated were still in my system. So many visual experiences were still in my system. I'm telling y'all, I'm trying to save you my heartache. I'm trying to save you. I'm done. I'm done. Know the beauty of that? Know who brought me through it and is bringing me through it? Listen to me. He is bringing me through it. I haven't been brought through it. It's a daily fight. And the more I see how Christ gave his life for her in the gospel, it motivates me to die for her. <laughs> it motivates me to die to my preferences. Because Jesus Christ, I'm pretty sure he'd have preferred glory over being born in a manger. But he said, I'm going to lay aside my preferences because of the people that I want to bring to me. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.